Hey everybody, it's Tom Haverstrow here. Thanks again for tuning in to The Finder with Tom Haverstrow, the podcast version. If you're tuning in on Apple, you might have realized that like my old logo, the Haverstrow logo, is still on there. Sorry for the confusion. This is The Finder's podcast. It is not The Haverstrow. It will be The Finder going forward. So if you listen to The Haverstrow beforehand and now you're seeing that this has changed over, I'm sorry, but this is the rebrand. So... Thank you for tuning in. And this week's episode was supposed to be recorded last week, but we had a scheduling conflict and we were able to get this out this week. Dan Orlovsky from ESPN, former UConn Husky standout, had an 11-year, 12-year, I think, 12-year NFL career as a quarterback. We play a little game with him later in the program about his 15 touchdowns, who he threw them to. But also, I really wanted to talk to Dan about something that's near and dear to his heart as parenting, youth sports. He's at allprodad.com, contributor there. He's also uh, my brother's best friend or one of his best friends. Their kids play sports together, and he has a lot of strong thoughts about youth sports and specialization in the year-round transformation that's happened over the last two decades with youth sports. So we talk about that. And also just parenting and his father's relationship and how his dad was very loud and in his face about his sports and very intense and how that changed his relationship with his father of the years. We'll talk all about that. But without further ado, uh, here's Dan Orlovsky, Monday night football analyst and NFL live analyst, former NFL quarterback and purveyor of very hot food takes. We will talk to him right now. Welcome to the Finder. I'm Tom Haverstrow. Welcome to the Finder. I'm Tom Haverstrow. Hey, Dan, I've got a question for you. Is there anything more annoying than like a fan finding out you cover the NFL or played in the NFL and then asking you immediately fantasy football advice? <laughs> yes. Like I got a draft on Tuesday. Who should I get number one? All right, I got the third slot in the draft. Like, who should I get, Dan? Are you saying this is a joke? Because what did your brother tell you? Did Chuck tell you about? <laughs> no, no, this is, I have no idea. Did Chuck say something? No, dude, Libertor, where I'm at, me, Chuck, and Clip around a text, and Clip hits me on like Sunday. Like, yesterday, I want to say like 11 o'clock, chit chatting about like kids' youth football. And he's like, yo, Cuzzy, I got a fantasy uh, draft on Tuesday. Uh, give me some later round gems. And I'm like, Kev, what are you talking about, dude? Like, <laughs> I, I, I happened to be a bunch at the, the concert, too. We went to Morgan Wallen a couple uh, last week with Chuck, and immediately people are coming up to you. He's like, hey, who do you, if I'm in the 10th round and I need a quarterback, who should I take? And I'm like, what? I got nothing for you, dude. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's tough because you're like, oh, it's cool that people are interested in my career or that I played football. And that's always cool, but it must, it might get tiring. And for those of you listening are like, who's Chuck? Chuck is my brother, my older brother. And you guys went to a, a Morgan Wallen concert at, at uh, Fenway, right? A couple Fenway, weeks ago. Yeah. Your kids are friends. You guys are friends. And I think Dan, the first time I met you was Wait, I don't know if you were at the Meineke Car Care Bowl game in 2007 when Wake played UConn, um, but I I remember UConn, you blasted Wake for, was it like 51 to 7 in Winston-Salem when you were a quarterback at UConn? Is that right? Do I have that right? Yeah, I was not at that 2007 game, but I played in the 2004 game when we went down there and beat them 52 to 10, scoring the first play of the game, yeah. <laughs> but who's, who remembers? I, I think I blacked that memory out from uh, from my Wake Forest uh, annals. Like I don't, I don't really know exactly. Um, I think, I think Sean Mulcahy, who is a, a family friend, he was at that Meineke car care car care game. But the whole point is, uh, we've hung out before. But this is the first time that you've been on the pod, and it's great to have you. And I just wrote something about how two sport mega stars have vanished from the sports landscape and you do an amazing job on NFL live. You're actually on, uh, in route to go do NFL live on ESPN right now. Uh, and I'm glad you're able to, to do this with us. But the point is you're, um, you do this all pro dad thing. Um, you're very passionate about raising, uh, being a dad, obviously, but raising, you have four kids and, You've, you've thought about this stuff all the time. You've been that pro player um, deciding about sports and what, what to do, how much to spend a lot of your time, both as a, an athlete, but also as a parent. So um, my first question is, 
Did you play basketball? I know you're tall. You're like six, five, six, six, right? Did you play basketball in high school? Not in high school. No, no, no. So I played basketball up until like sixth or seventh grade. I tell people this all the time. Like I am not a naturally athletic person. I'm a really good natural athlete. Like pick up any ball and I'll be fine at the sport. But when it comes to like being muscular or fast or being able to jump or whatnot, I'm terrible. So basketball was like my least, like the sport that was I was worst at because I mean it's you know athleticism is probably a a, a pretty big necessity in that sport. So I I stopped playing like basketball. I want to say in like sixth or seventh grade. I wasn't very good at it. Were you, were you uh, admirably tall even as a young kid, or what, did you have like a huge growth spurt? Both. You know, like uh, you know, I was relatively taller. Uh, and then my sophomore year of high school, I grew like eight inches. Like I remember, you know, being in the bathroom, just bent over in pain because the growth plant growth, growth pain. So, um, but I was awkward, dude. Like my, my freshman year, I was like, I want to say six feet, 150 pounds in size 15 shoe. Wait, you have a 15 size 15 shoe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was so awkward, dude. So you're awkward. like clown feet, like in totally in freshman year in high school. You're just like flopping around with these uh, these flippers. Totally, dude. It was bad. I remember, and I didn't hit puberty till like back into my sophomore year either. So I was just just long, lanky, super awkward looking human who still sounded like this, like a like a you know a, an eight year old. So did you have any? like decision to make about dedicating yourself to self to football and being a quarterback? Yeah. Oh yeah. So sophomore year of high school, like I was the time I was the 12 year old in baseball. I, I say this story all the time. Like I was the best little league baseball player ever, like 12 years old. I would strike out everybody. I had 26 home runs as a 12 year old. Like I was, I was unbelievable. I loved baseball as a kid. I turned 13 and everyone else was better than me. I was that kid, you know, like that story. And so I get to high school baseball and I could throw a football really far. And I'm just uh, like, again, I went and I was young. So I was a um, 14, 15, 16. I was a 14 year old freshman. So I went from like my 12 year old seventh grade year to freshman baseball and like never really got any better and just getting absolutely shelled pitching the ball as a freshman. So, um, you know, football starts to pick up for me and all my boys, my best friends were baseball players and kind of like my sophomore year when recruiting started to pick up, my dad came to me and was like, you got to make a choice. And I wasn't like capable. So I just flipped the coin. I was like, if it lands on heads, I'll play football. If it lands on tails, I'll play baseball. And it landed on football. And so no, no regrets like that you didn't pursue the baseball side in high school. Uh, I think a little bit just for like being able to play baseball with my boys still like having fun, you know, with my best friends playing baseball with them, but no regrets as far as like, I could have played college baseball. Then they'd done that. No. Yeah. And it, it seemed to have worked out for you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I fooled them. I fooled them for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, any, any NFL guys that you played with that could have done the two sport thing that could have been pro in two sports. No. Like the guy I think of is obviously Calvin Johnson. Who's just. Like, I think I read a story from the New York times that Megatron, uh, in high school on the, like the basketball gym, he just grabbed a ball, told a kid to sit down in the, in the lane and Calvin just jumped over him, dunked it while wearing a backpack in high school. And then I think he was a shortstop in high school. And there's a clip of him, like hitting dingers at Comerica, just just batting practice. And he's just like cold going in there and just launching it 400 feet. And I'm like, this guy could have played baseball or basketball. I'm pretty sure. There's no question about it. I I remember being Calvin and I and Matthew used to stand on the 50 yard line, Matthew Stafford, Matthew Stafford, and go all the way to the sidelines. And we would have throwing contests to see who could hit the crossbar, like diagonal across the field. And Calvin would be just as good as us. So Calvin was a freakazoid. Um, I think Matthew's a guy that p- could have played professional baseball just cause you know, he was so talented and just could throw from any situation and had just remarkable hand-eye coordination. Golden Tate probably could have played professional baseball. He was a really, really good, just again, athlete and super athletic. Um, dude, there's so many guys that, that for sure just could at least had a chance to go play professional baseball or be- professional basketball. 
Do you know why Bo Jackson and Deion Sanders happened in the nineties? Like while we were growing up and then just two sport mega stars never really materialized after that. Do I know why they, they were who they were? Or do I know like what happened to them? Point? No, like what happened to the mega two sports star? Like, like this was a thing when we were growing up is watching Bo Jackson play for the Royals and then do his thing for the Raiders. And then Dion did it for the Braves and the Yankees prime time. And then like would be the best football player in, in the world. And it's like how athletes have continued to getting better, yeah. bigger, faster, stronger, more skilled. And so you would think that we would see Bo Jackson and Deion Sanders happening every so often, but that's the last time. And Brian Jordan's another one. I actually didn't include him in my piece, but a lot of people reminded me Brian Jordan did the two sport thing as well, which is true. Do you remember Drew Henson? Drew Henson. Yeah. I played, I, he played with me in Detroit and he was, he was another one that, I mean, he was a star. I remember Joe Maurer. Joe Maurer was the the number one draft pick. My, he was the same, you know, grade as me in high school. And I remember hearing about Joe Maurer, three-time All-American or three-sport All-American football, baseball, and basketball. He was committed to go play quarterback at Ohio or Florida State. He was the number one pick for the Minnesota Twins. I don't know why, you know, necessarily we don't see more of it. It's probably because so many parents try to suffocate their kids when they're younger into one sport. Yeah, yeah. I was wondering if you thought it was more adult, like pro league impact? Is that like pro leagues don't want their their star players to play another sport? Or do you think it starts at a much earlier age? Because like Patrick Mahomes, he played high school basketball, high school baseball, played football, obviously. So it wasn't as a case of that he was specializing too early, why he didn't do it like Bo and Dion did or Brian Jordan. But maybe it's, uh, I talked about this in the piece, just the era of specialization and you say suffocating. So your, your kids and my, my nieces and nephews, they're, they're doing it right now. They're on the, the track to, you know, youth sports and playing lacrosse and basketball and baseball, what have you. But it sounds like to me as a parent, it's too much specialization or just too much year round athletics, right? All of it. Um, I, I think of it. So I think part of it is, it, it, I would say a step below the pros in its college. You know, I think colleges are way more resistant to guys playing or girls playing multiple sports in college. Even, you know, like I have a dear friend of mine whose son's a tremendous quarterback. He's also an incredible baseball player. And when they started their recruiting process, it was like, I want to be able to play both. And then, you know, the, the more, the, the bigger the school they got, the bigger the school got when it came to like brand or name recognition, the less they were accepting of, well, he wants to play both, you know? And, and so I think that's part of it. Um, and, he, and again, even down below that. And it's funny because I, I say this to like my friends, parents, my friends who are parents all the time, like, it's a slippery slope. It is. I don't care who you are. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a slippery slope that is very easily, you get sucked into it because no matter what you hear constantly from so many parents, well, if, if they're not doing their lacrosse year round, they're going to fall behind. Uh, but right. if they're not taking the baseball lesson in January, they're going to fall behind. And you'll start to convince yourself of it. Like you'll start to believe it, even though you know that's not true. Like you, and you got to be like really conscious of it, you know? Um, and, and it's, it's, it's too much of one sport year round. There's sports going on way too much nowadays. And, um, I think that, you know, cause it's funny, Tom, cause I'll like sit there and I'll hear parents be like, oh, we got another tournament this weekend. And my immediate response will be, if you feel that way, what do you think the kid feels like? Yeah. You think they want to go to another tournament this weekend? So, um, you know, there's this, there's this obsessive culture and, and uh, it, it's very much so that the parents attach their social standing with how good or, you know, how much their kids play sports or whatnot or what team they're on or whatnot. Um but it's, it's, it's a fascinating world to kind of be entering. How do you break that? How do you break that culture? Yeah, I, I think you got to stay really true to yourself. I think you got to stay really true to what you believe. And, and honestly, what, what's most important to you? Like, dude, I, I, I say this so often. Like, I'm a maniac. I'm an absolute jock to my core. 
I would play sports all day long. But the last thing I want my kids to think is that sports are the only thing that matters or that they matter the most. Do I want them to play and be as good as they possibly can and, and learn from the struggle? But like, I have to be honest with what I want to be for, for to be most important in my house. And I also want to be very conscious of like, because I lived it in many ways and I've watched it. Do I really want like my kid to be the best 14 year old player? Or do I want my kid when he's 34 to like have a relationship with me? Because I think you truly with you sports can lose or ruin the latter chance, the chances of the latter happening. You know, like I kind of lived it in, in a way and I, I see it so often. And like, obviously the answer is the best of both worlds. You know, like you, I, I would love, and, and I, it's hard. Like it's hard. I don't want to pretend like this is easy. Like it's sometimes, especially for a person who grew up around sports and it's such a big part of my life. Like sometimes when I watch my sons play or my daughter and they're like, like got giving their, their best effort or they're not focused. Like I want to jump down their throat. Like I want to scream and yell at them. Yeah. Or when, you know, they, they stand up there and strike three and they look at it. Like I, I do. I, that's like my natural default setting. Um, Did your dad but I do try that to like, you? I try, Oh God. Yeah. You know, it was a, it was a, you know, a, a wear out session in regards to that stuff. Um, and you gotcha. know, that's one of the reasons why like, you know, I don't have a you know relationship with my dad, and that's one of the reasons why is because it was that for years and years and years on top of other stuff, you know. And so, like, I have to sometimes like be very conscious of it because, um, you know, like there's there's the the last thing I'm going to do is ruin the I mean ruin the relationship with my kid because of that or like ruin their experience in relationship with sports you know or ruin that with themselves and their friends so uh, it's hard um but i i have to i personally have to be very conscious of it what was the thing that bothered you the most as an athlete a young athlete with your dad's tack of parenting like what was the thing that really ate you up that i felt like a trophy like I, I felt like I was only loved when I did good, like, you know, and, and it was all that was ever talked about. And so like when, when I did good and I did, you know, obviously I was like not bad at sports as a kid. So like when I did good, which was often, you know, everything was great, but then like it kept being elevated and elevating good was no longer good enough. And as I would sit there, I'd be like an 11, 12, 13 year old. And I'd be like, you, you know, at the time you're so scared to mess up not because you're going to do bad in sports, but because like I was so scared to mess up because I was like, I'm going to, you know, like the home's not going to be fun. This car ride home is going to be terrible. You know, like I'm going to be screamed and yelled at and I'm not going to be talked to for two days. And so it was, it became way, you know, more about like, Oh man, I don't want to do poorly because my team's not going to do well or I'm not going to do well and whatnot. And so it was like, it was so the, the, the mood in the, the house, certainly. And then also like how much you felt loved was so dependent on how well or how well I did in sports. Was he an athlete? Yeah, he played like, I, I think like high school football. And then I think he played college football at the University of Bridgeport. I don't know like how long or how much, but I, I, I believe he did. Yeah. Do you feel like that's generational? Like he, he might've felt that from his father or from his someone in his life that he felt like that's the, that's the key to success is just being hard on you constantly. Totally dude. And, and, um, like I, cause that's often like the comment, you know, is like, well, what was that? His past, like that, I don't think that's just for me. I think so often we hear that, but we also know like right or wrong. You know, we also know like, you know, how to go about thing. I think we get to an age as an adult where we could like decipher like, man, that's probably not the best way for me to do that. And I also say this, I'm hard on my kids, uh, but I'm hard on my kids and the things that they can control. Like, and I think we should be hard on our kids. Like I, I'm hard on my kids when it comes to like the effort that they give, the teammate that they are, how coachable they are. Like I'm, I'm really hard on them about that, but there's also 8 billion people in the world. Like, so if I'm not hard on them about that stuff, that there's totally controllable, I'm failing them as a dad to set like what the real life expectations are. If my son goes up there and like a perfect example, my son 
you know, in a, in a baseball game this year and literally, you know, I'm coaching with your brother and it's a huge moment in a game. And one of the big things all year was like swing, you know, just we're, we're going up there aggressively, huge moment. All his friends are watching kid on third base. Our team's down by one and he strikes out and he puts three great, great swings on the, at, at that bat and he strikes out swinging and he was devastated. Yeah. Yeah. And I was so happy and proud of him. You know, I'm like, yeah. yo, you swung good swings. So, um, you know, but I'm hard on them. Heck yeah. I would be so much more upset with him if he like walked on a lucky ball. Cause he looked, looked at seven pitches. So. Yeah. I, I, uh, I don't know if you listened to the Bill Simmons podcast with Malcolm Gladwell. You sent it to me. Yeah. Cause he talked about that. You sports is broken and, and Malcolm Gladwell came in with some ideas, very radical, admittedly. Like, I think he came in being like, I know that these are left field, no pun intended ideas, uh, but here's how he would reform youth sports. And one of the things was uh, parents, his proposal was parents shouldn't be allowed at games. And that just take the parents out of the equation and kids will perform better or the the success of the performance will be more tied to like, I don't know, skill development, having fun, more positive experience if they don't feel like their parents are breathing down their necks or yelling at them from the sidelines or just having that element at games. And while I sat there and was like, you know, that might be true, but A, good luck getting that um, that policy yeah. passed so that parents can't go to games. But B, um, I don't know, like my dad coached me in basketball and in baseball, and he was not the guy who knew everything there was about baseball and basketball. He was a guy that... Uh, a lot of parents looked at and was like, you can manage the politics of this, of parenting in sure. Westport better than the other parents who are like super into their kid and super into their, their like basically coaching their kid individually. Whereas it seemed like my dad, he, he, he had a hard, like, dad, I'm sorry if you're listening, but he like, sometimes I have a hard time hitting grounders and in infield practice, you know, like that sort of thing sure. where it was like, you kind of had to know a little bit about the sport, be skilled at it to coach. But he was really good totally. at managing parents. And that in my hometown of Westport was huge. And I'm sure it is everywhere in America is you want to have a coach that can manage all the different parental personalities. But in this podcast, for a moment, I was like, man, what would that be like is having no parents at these games? I know I would probably without my kid right now, my my oldest is six. I'm like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. But my kid hasn't gone through that whole track yet. Um, and I just don't know how feasible that is. So, so one, is that, is that even a realistic idea or maybe a, a, a portion of that you think could be implemented in new sports in America is that parents are just on top of players too much, maybe moving them from the scene somewhat is healthy or feasible. And then two, like as a coach and as a pro former pro athlete, like should parents be allowed at games just as a developmental or fun aspect? So I think like it, it's really hard to remove parents away from games because the parent there are often cases and I would probably claim that leaning towards the majority of parents just want to watch their kids have fun and run around and compete. I do think that still is there. It's not all doom and gloom. Like I love watching my kids go play. I love it. I I skip so much life stuff to go watch them play. Um, I I think this like it probably gets a little bit more realistic is as they get older, but I have friends of mine who go and watch practice every day of their kids. I don't think parents should be allowed to practices. Now the pushback to that would be like, well, Dan is the coach, someone that could be trusted. And that's probably fair conversation. And, and from some small situations, but like, is the coach coaching the right way and doing things the right way and speaking the right way, all, all that stuff. And those Maybe there's a way to patrol that if there's a, a designated parent to win up. But like, I don't think I don't think parents should be allowed to just sit at practice and camp out. They weren't there for me. Like when I was a kid, they're there all the time, Tom. Crazy, all the time. And how old does that start? I mean, nine, nine. My boys are eleven, and I've been watching it for a couple of years. I'm not like I go watch the last ten or fifteen minutes of practice at times. I do because I'm going to pick them up and I want to watch. But like two hour practices, watch the whole thing. Um, I think the second thing is this, like if the coach has to get like the coach needs to make very clear to parents, what's their expectations. And like, you, I, I saw this the other day, 
like Kevin Stefanski is the head coach for the Cleveland Browns when it comes to in-camp training fight or training camp fighting. Like if you're a starter and you start a fight in training camp, Kevin Stefanski forces you to play in the preseason game if you weren't supposed to. And then if you're a backup or a kid like fighting for a roster spot and you start a fight in training camp, then you won't be able to play in those preseason games. Wait, fighting like physical altercation you're talking about or like fighting, like battling for a job? No, like we get into a fight. Like I'm in camp and I'm frustrated and I start a fist fight in camp or a melee and I'm the starting defensive tackle, but I'm not going to be, I'm not supposed to play in week two of the preseason. If I start the fight, I'm playing in the preseason game. Or if like I'm the backup and I start a fight, I'm not going to be able to play in the preseason game. So that Mm -hmm. minimizes my chances to make the team, right? And I was thinking about it with youth sports, like, Hey, as, as if I'm the coach, hey parents, this this these are the expectations. You like give them like a, a guideline. You print it out so it's in writing. If you are at games and I hear you say this, 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 or that, or I get an email from you complaining about this, 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 or that, your son's not going to play. Your daughter's not going to play. You're going to hurt their chances of playing time. So we want you to come. We want you to support. We want you to love the experience. But there's things that we won't tolerate. There are things that we can or cannot do. This is why. Because your kids hear it and your kids feel it. Don't, co- don't coach your kid from the sidelines. You want to cheer them on, great. Don't coach them. So I think that there's ways that coaches can kind of handle some of the parents and kind of get them to understand, like, this is how it's going to be. Like, I'm, I'm telling you right now, I have, I'm coaching lacrosse next year um, for the boys in sixth grade. I'm going to do that to the parents. And the truth is, dude, some of them are my good friends, like my dear friends. And I'm going to tell them. Like if Chuck sends you an email or texts you like, dude, that was, uh, I want, I want Charlie to do this or whatever it is. Like you need to work on this. You're like, dude, Chuck, you're going to hurt your kid. Absolutely. So if Charlie, it, it, then Charlie's got to come talk to me. Not you. He's, a, he's, a, he's, he's 11 or 12 years old at this point. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think the, cause the parents, they're just going to try to control everything nowadays and we're hurting them in so many different ways. So was your dad right to come to you in sophomore year and say, look, you got to choose between baseball and football because you made it. Yeah, I think so. I think that was the right choice at that point. You know, I I don't, I didn't, I wasn't upset about it. Like I wasn't like, I I was at the point where you're getting letters from Florida and Penn state and Tennessee and uh, Boston college and Purdue. Like at that point I was mature enough to be like, Oh, like this is, I got a chance here. Right. Because for a lot of players like Bo Jackson and, and Dion, like they could pick up a sport easily. Like yeah. if, if Bo Jackson misses eight weeks of the NFL season playing baseball, he's still going to be a really good running back. And so I guess the, the specialization question is, you know, for the Dan Orlovsky's or the Tom Haberstros of the world where it's like, yeah, the writing was on the wall. I'm not going to play two sports pro. So I'm going to choose one and then go, go pro or try to go pro in that sport. But for the Kyler Murray's and the uh, Drew Henson's and the, I think Patrick Mahomes said he wishes, I don't know if it was Pat Mahomes. Oh, Randy Moss. Randy Moss was like, I think players in college should absolutely play two sports. Like absolutely keep your options open. And I'm, I'm like, yeah, but how feasible is that with coaches? Like you have to have enough leverage with and capital and equity with your college football coach or your college baseball coach to be like, Hey, uh, I got to miss a couple games here. Um, but that's cool, right? I just don't see it happening nowadays with NIL and how much money is in control of stuff and scholarships and, and all the variables that are attached to that. Like, dude, college football is 24 7, 365 for the most part. You know, like it, it really is. And so, I, w- with the amount of money that is getting invested into those programs, I think it's really, while I agree with it, I just think it's really hard. So you think it comes down to money? Totally. Like a player, a player is going to have a really tough time turning down like the one track football NIL money or telling, you know, the, the head coach, Hey, Nick Saban, Hey, I got it. I really want to do this baseball thing. Can I go do that? Like, that's going to be a pretty tough conversation to have. And Danny Ainge talked about this. He's like, when I, when I left the Toronto blue Jays, he's playing with the Toronto blue Jays in major league baseball yeah. came to the Boston Celtics who just won an NBA championship and Cedric Maxwell is taunting him in practice, like taunting him about 
he can't cut it. Like you think you, you're a baseball player and you're going to come in mid season. He missed the first month of the Celtic season and was missing shots. And his own teammate was taunting him for being yeah. this two sports star. And I can only imagine you got to have so much equity and so much clout and so much, I guess your brand has to be big enough that you're able to absorb that cost of your yeah. football teammates or your baseball teammates just giving you shit. Totally dude. And like, I think about it in regards to this, like the, I know kids who are in high school now who like they go high school football season and then they'll go to like a seven on seven indoor in the winter. And then they'll go to like seven on seven in the spring and then they'll start spring football. At what point do you have the opportunity to do something else? If you don't, and like, again, the coaches, you're letting your teammates down. You know, like, uh, you're, are you doing, I can't guarantee you a spot because you're not going to be there all year. Yep. Like there is that stuff and it's, it's unfortunate. I don't agree with it all. I think there's singular small cases where I understand it. Uh, but the specialization for me, man, I'm just so, I'm so against it and I think it's so wrong. So Charlie, uh, is playing lacrosse right now, I think. And I don't think Chuck ever picked up a lacrosse stick. Like, I don't think I did. I love talking to Chuck about lacrosse. <laughs> I love it. Cause he's such a baseball guy. Does he know anything about lacrosse? I haven't asked him this question, but does he know like the rules? No, but I don't either really. Like, I don't, I, I don't know much about it. Like I love the sport. Um, but I don't, I don't know a ton about it. Is that more fun for you coaching a sport that you don't really know a lot about or a ton about or following or watching your kid play a, a sport that you don't know a ton about? Yes. It's more fun as dad. I'm not a great coach, dude. I'm not like, uh, my expectations are just so high. And like when a kid can't do it the way I want him to do it, I get like super frustrated still. So I, I, like, I'm so much better just being a dad or just like when I coach, I'm Chuck could tell you like when I'm on the, and I, I, I haven't done it as much in like the last year, but I am all energy. Like all I'm doing is trying to juice the kids up and like, get to the ball, get to the ball, get to the ball, get there, get there. Like that's all I'm doing. Cause I think they like, they need that on the sideline. Like I, I don't understand sometimes where like when coaches yell at kids to bring energy, but the coach is like a dud. Yeah. Um, yeah. like of course they don't have energy. You're a dud. So, um, but I, I like watching. I love watching. You tweeted out a few weeks ago, encouraging all parents out there. Parenting is hard. And if you want to be a good one, it's really hard. I had a day recently when I just sucked as a dad, did everything wrong, said everything I shouldn't. It's hard but encouraging us all stay in it. Give yourself grace. Love them hard. Yeah. Why did you tweet that? Because that the world is a vicious place on social media and putting yourself out there like that. Um, it takes guts. Like it takes guts to like, as a pro football player, someone on TV all the time to like admit and be vulnerable to be like, yeah, I, I screwed up and you guys need to know that. Yeah. I had a really, like really bad, like I, I being a dad is, one of the most important things in the world to me. And I'm always trying to learn how to be better about it and all that stuff. And I just had a bad day when it came to like kind of a 180 to all the things that I say I'm about as a father or yeah. try to like share about or whatnot. And so I was so upset with myself. Like after I got past like the, you know, what I did and said in the moment to my son and afterwards just sitting there like so upset with myself and going, from the stage of like, dude, you're so friggin' dumb to do that and say that because it's against everything you talk about and say that you're about to then being like, hold on, dude, I'm a really good dad. I was just bad for like 30 minutes or whatever that time frame was, you know, you like, slipped. yeah, it, yeah, yeah I'm, it might have felt like a year, but it was like just a bad moment. And it was one of those situations where like I had to go apologize to my kids to be like, that's not okay. That's not what I'm about. That's not what I say I'm about. And then like sit in it and be like, okay, dude, like you sucked, but you don't suck. You know, like you sucked in that moment, but like it, that, that's not who you are as a dad. And I was just sitting there going like how many parents have, have, have to feel like this. Because if I know I do, and it's so important to me, I'd imagine other parents experience it too. Because I think every parent wants to be a good parent, most of them at least. So it's just one of those things. Because I'm, you know, I think I, I run into a lot of people too who like, and and I'm just sharing this to share it. Like who put me on a pedestal? Like who think that uh, like I do everything the right way or like perfect all that stuff and it was one of those moments for me being like holy crap like that was bad dude 
and um, realizing it was bad and being like, part of me kind of accepting it in a way was like, and like turning the page from it was the apology. Turn this into it. Yeah. And just being like, yo, you're not alone. Like the person that you see on get up and first take and, you know, doing all this stuff and that you think like, Oh my gosh, like, dude, I had a moment where I was freaking worse than you've ever been as a dad. So like cut yourself some slack cause it's hard and, and just trying to like throw a little bit of encouragement. Cause you said like social media is terrible, you know, but if I could throw out a little bit of positivity that helps one person in that moment, maybe it'll help them, you know? How are you so good at absorbing criticism? Because uh, maybe you're not, maybe you're not, maybe this is all a facade, but the idea that you mix it up with people about your food takes or about, uh, you, you're on with Stephen A. Smith and you're very self-deprecating about certain things and you put yourself yeah. out there in ways that, uh, not a lot of pro athletes do. Um, and yeah. I'm wondering where that comes from. I think one of it is cause I played quarterback since I was 15, you know, or, at least like started and I started playing quarterback when I was like 10 or 11, but quarterbacks then I was 15 in high school. So like from that day, everyone, there, there's always somebody that tells you you suck at quarterback. There's always, I don't care who you are, you know? So I think you start to get used to it and hardened to it. Um, I think playing quarterback for the majority of my life and going to UConn and then in the NFL, like, and being hardened to criticism and hardened to like, um, hearing people not like you or, or like hate on you, so to speak. Um, I'm a wildly confident person because I don't think anyone works harder than I do. And I don't think anyone prepares more than I do. So like my confidence doesn't come from, you know, what people say about me. My confidence comes from like the work that I put in and yeah. that, um, that, uh, that's never, that's always been who I am and that's never going to change. Um, I also sit here and say this time, like, Dude, I am 40 years old. I lived out a dream. I went to college on scholarship. I played in the NFL for 12 years. I'm on ESPN. I'm married to a beautiful woman. I've got four incredible kids. What can you say? <laughs> Live in Westport, Connecticut. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, uh, you know, like I, um, I, I feel like I'm super, super blessed and like my everyday life is amazing. And, um, I've got awesome friends and like my life is like, like on a day-to-day basis, I, I truly enjoy it. So I think it's fun to make fun of ourselves. Do you think that you would have that response to criticism if it weren't for the, uh, the end zone play? Like, do you think that had a very mm. Im- big impact to how you react to criticism now? So for those who are I listening, so. can you just tell people what happened and, and why that was such a big moment in your life, the, the running through the back of the end zone on national TV? Yeah, it's 2008. I think it's like the um, probably like the fifth game of the season. We're on the road to Detroit. This is my first ever career start. We're on the road to Minnesota. Excuse me, first ever career start. And um, I, we have the ball, maybe the two or three yard line. We call a play. I call timeout. I don't like to play. I wanted more pass options to get out other than Calvin Johnson. Coach keeps the play. Ball gets snapped. Jared Allen comes off on my left side. And my like natural reaction, and I'm standing five yards in the end zone, my natural reaction is to like revert away from pressure, right? Because that's kind of what you do. You get away from it. And just the unawareness of, dude, if you go back two or three steps, you are going to be out of the end zone. I've never been in that situation before. So I run out of the end zone. But not only do I run out of the end zone, like I'm out of the end zone by a good yard and still (laughs) running away from Jared. Like I'm still in, in the field of play. And after probably like three seconds of being out of bounds, safety, all that, and we actually lose that game 12 to 10. Um, and that's the year we go 0 and 16. I think so. You know, like I think that's about as bad as it can get, right? You know, like that's a, that's about as embarrassing as you can be a part of when it comes to like being in that profession and whatnot. And I still played another seven years. Um, yeah. I, you know, like, I still went on to, you know, go have the career that I was hoping to have. And, um, I think knowing that like, yo, it's not going to get much worse than that. And honestly, it is funny. <laughs> it is. It's stupid too, you know? So it's like, I'm okay. Like, <laughs> I don't want to pretend like that. It's not still somewhat embarrassing, but it's also super funny, dude. So it's a blooper. It's one of the great all time bloopers, right? Yeah. And we, we grew up watching yeah. bloopers and it was, and it's funny, but like to put yourself in that yeah. spot is a different thing, right? To like yeah. never be able to yeah. 
go a, a month without hearing about it or like, oh, you're that totally. guy. But you put it, you know what's totally. great is you use that against the critics or whatever by putting it in your like Twitter profile. I think it's uh totally. end zone should be 11 yards. It almost de-weaponizes it. Totally. You dude. know, like if you're going to make fun of me for this, I'm making fun of myself for this. Absolutely. And it's also, Tom, like one of those things too, like my boys are just getting at the age where, where to like, there's going to come a point of time where I can really use that as an example for them to be like, guys, I've said it to my kids sometimes too. Cause my son, like, I'll be like, yo, your dad ran out of the end zone on national television. Like just because you have that moment doesn't mean it's going to define you, you know, like, yeah. You know, especially when my kids have they all seen it? By the way, the clip have they all seen it? Oh yeah, they they've got friends who have cell phones who show. <laughs> Here's a true story, dude. Like, because uh, you know it. Um, so my friends, they've got a good buddy of theirs who um, graduating fifth grade. Um, the parents got him a cell phone. Great family. Um, yeah. And to and then for like that and birthday, they took him to Sakura, which is a uh, like a Benihana, right? Like. So, um, so I walk up and he's like, Mr. Dan, and I've coached him for years and I'm I'm like, what's up, bud? And he's like, guess what I got? And I'm like, what? He's like a phone. My parents got me a phone. I'm like, dude, that's awesome. Happy birthday. He's like, come here. I got to show you something. And he pulls up the safety play. And so initially I'm sitting there being like, you gotta be fudging kidding me, dude. Like, (laughs) first of all, if I ever did that to an adult, I would have gotten my teeth kicked in. You got to talk to that guy's parent and say something. Yeah. Yeah. I got to hear it from you too. I get it from the adults. So, uh, but yeah, they, they, they know it. I don't have to like dove into it a ton with them, but I'm sure at some point I'll sit down and be like, yo, you don't like, you can get past this, whatever you're going through or whatever you experience. So. All right. Now that we're there, I want to uh, ask you, we, we do this trivia game um, with a bunch of our guests who played in the league on the basketball side, but I have it for the football side. I think I did this with Ryan Leaf when we were, uh, we were on with Levitard. You've thrown 15 touchdown passes in your career, NFL career, nine for the Lions, six for the Colts. Can you name the seven recipients of those 15 touchdown passes? Seven guys? Seven guys in your NFL career you've thrown a touchdown to, and some of them multiple times. Okay, so Roy Williams was the first one. I don't have Roy Williams down here. Was that a preseason or was that a... No, that was my first one ever at Minnesota. Hold on. Pro Football Reference doesn't have that. So, what year? You said it's your rookie year. Two thousand eight, first touchdown pass ever. Could it have been preseason? Nope. No way. So, Roy Williams. Okay, well, we're gonna investigate that. Yep. Okay. Calvin Johnson. Yes. Do you know how many? I mean, allegedly. Because I don't know if this is real now. Why well, through nine in Detroit? I would <laughs> seven. Yeah, seven touchdowns to Calvin. Is there one that that? jumps out to you as your favorite so the week after the minnesota play when i run out of the end zone we're on the road in houston you're on the three yard line four yard line i threw a 96 yarder to him 96 yeah. 97 yarder to him what's up now um, yeah. yeah yeah um so roy calvin um pierre garcon yep two of those to him reggie wayne two of those to him so everyone else on this list there are four remaining that are just solo touchdowns Okay, so just solo touchdowns. Three wide receivers and a tight end. Casey Fitzsimmons? Nope. Don't have him on here. Jacob Tammy? Yes. Okay, so Jacob Tammy's one. And then three more wide receivers. Can you give me the team? All right, so 2008, November 2nd. I guess this is eighth game of the season. Week week nine, sorry. Uh, At Chicago. Sean McDonald? Yes. What was that play? That was a sluggo to Sean McDonald versus zero pressure. It might have been a peanut Tillman. It might have been a peanut Tillman. Sean McDonald was so good. So you had Tammy. It was uh, 2011, week 14 at Baltimore. Tammy, do you remember that one at all? Uh, yeah, Tammy down the middle of the field versus like a trap pressure <laughs> middle field safety. And Tam- Tammy kind of like did her like replacement scene. <laughs> then you had two to Reggie Wayne, week 15 that year, week 16. And then there was week 17, fourth quarter, uh, trailing six to 19. You throw a 12 yard pass to, it was at Jacksonville. Oh, at Jacksonville, week 17. At Jacksonville, I, Larry White? Austin Collie. Austin Collie. I don't remember that one. Okay. That one's a 12 yarder. 
And then the, the final one of your career, according to pro football reference, I'm going to have to um, follow up here and file a protest on your behalf about your first one. Um, 2015 week five Detroit against Arizona at Detroit. It looks like you lose 17 to 42. Oh yeah. This is fourth quarter. Matthew got benched at halftime mm. and I threw so 2015, I threw a touchdown to, was it Golden? Lance Moore. Oh, Lance. That's right. Yeah. I threw, I threw, I threw like a, <laughs> yeah, I, I threw like a jerk route to Lance. He's such a good player. Dude, our producer just checked in that ESPN has on October 12, 2008 against Minnesota with a touchdown to Calvin Johnson. So that was, was that your first touchdown game? Like when you're remembering Roy Williams, do you think it's that game at, at Minnesota? Yeah. I, I remember the play. It was like deuce left, Z short, fake 19, keeper right, Z slide. You just made that up, by the way. You just made that up. There's no way that's a real... hundred No. <laughs> I, I, I guarantee the touchdown was probably like seven yards or something like that. Like it wasn't a super long... It was a keeper, like a bootleg. Can you see the distance? I remember I threw it left to right we, and he scored like kind of going into the right court, right pylon. It says 12 yards. 12 yards. Okay. Dude, this is crazy. So you're vividly remembering that this is a touchdown pass to Roy Williams in this game. Yeah. All right. So at halftime, half time, it's three to two, by the way, you're up three to two in this game. <laughs> this is the safety game, right? Yes. Yeah. Of course, you've got a 12-yard pass from Dan Orlovsky at third quarter, 822. Calvin Johnson, 12-yard pass from Dan Orlovsky to put you up 10 to 2. I mean, this is what it says here. I don't know. I don't have a video link. I'm going to have to call Calvin. I could have swore it was Roy because I remember like being like, oh my gosh, I finally threw a touchdown and Roy like gave me the ball. And I remember being like, what, maybe... Maybe Calvin gave it to Roy or something like that, but Roy gave me the ball and I was like, uh, what do I do with it? I got, I got to call Calvin. All right. So now Maze is also saying it's on pro football reference, ESPN and football database is all pointing to Calvin Johnson here. So well, we're going to have to get to the tape here. I'm probably wrong here. That's also <laughs> a game that maybe I've tried to forget some stuff about. So <laughs> just, just patchy your memory on that game, but that's, that's fascinating because <sighs> What was the play you just described? The the play call because I think that sounded like out of a movie. What was the play call? That's an easy one. Deuce left, Z short, fake nine, keeper right, Z slide. So it's like you know two receivers on either side. It's like symmetrical. Two receivers, two tight ends. The Z is the guy that's the receiver. Z short means like a short motion, almost like to where yeah. the tight end is on that same side. Fake nineteen is a nine is left, eight would be right. So nine is a you know, like think of one, three, five, seven, nine, one closest yeah. to the center, nine farthest. So fake like an outside run to the left, keeper right, and the Z slide is the type of pattern he slides across the line of scrimmage. All right, Mays just sent the link to the play. Oh, smelling salts before kickoff, they're talking about Dan Orlovsky. Not a, not a good sign. Okay. <laughs> I did it just for fun. All right, here it is. No. Second and five, you roll out, you fake a handoff play action, and you can see how much I know football here. Uh, you roll out to the right after faking it to 32, and then... Five yards, and that's a big target to have. And now here's that big target again coming sort of out of the backfield in motion. Ball comes loose after he breaks the plane. It's a 10-2 Lions lead. Yeah, that was, that was Calvin Johnson. target to have. And now here's that big target again. Calvin he was Johnson. basically running along the right side. Yeah. And he yeah. threw it to him on the run. And he just, from the 12, he runs all the way into the end zone. And he loses the ball in the end zone. And Oh, so maybe that's oh. what happens. Roy Williams maybe picked up the ball and handed it to you, being like, yo, congratulations, your first touchdown. That might be what happened. Maybe that's why that's like that moment that stands out in my mind. It's stupid by me not to remember that I threw my first touchdown to a Hall of Famer, but... Last thing here, and I'll let you go. What is the Calvin Johnson fact or story to for the audience to understand how good he was? Or like what, what he did, maybe not even in football, but just like an athlete, yeah. how crazy he was. Yeah, I'll give you two just because I love Calvin. I think the world of him, he's a, a tremendous human, um, but everyone knows him as Megatron, so... Uh, I'll give you like the real story and then the funny story. So, um, like the real story was 
you know, Calvin was this freakazoid talent, right? Like I'm six five. Calvin makes me look like six two. Like he's long and just yeah. athletic and uh, but as talented as he is, was his work ethic was just as good, if not better. And I remember, so we would run sprints as a team, right? And so we would break into three groups. It's the bigs, the, um, the bigs, the skill and speed. So the bigs would be like the offensive and the defensive linemen. Cause you want to okay. run with your group, right? The skill were like tight ends, quarterbacks, running backs, linebackers, and the speed were usually like wide receivers and running backs and DBs. So, and you usually all ran in groups, you know, not spread out sporadically throughout the field, but bigs run together, skill yeah. run together. Calvin would run away from the speed group because two things. He was so much faster than everybody that he didn't want to like embarrass those guys. And two, he never wanted like those guys to be his standard of how hard he should run. He just wanted to run as hard as he possibly could every single rep. Like his work ethic was so profound. Um, and that's really kind of what took his talent to a different level. So he would run with other groups or he would run just alone? Like away from alone, like in in the group, like at when the group went, but just like 50 yards away from them. To not like, because he beat everyone by like 10 yards. He was that remarkable. Um, Crazy. funny story like one time you know you go into the showers or whatnot so you'd walk to the shower and dress your towel and like calvin was a year younger than me so like um i would walk into the shower occasionally at the same time as in one time like we're walking the shower together and like the shower was like a double-sided like entrance you come from either side and yeah. i'm walking and i was like hold on stay there and i like had my towel on you tell i said how did you get what you have and I get what I have. Like where did that in the creation process come together? My funny Calvin story is this. So this is when we were younger. Um, like we're going on a road trip. And when you go on the road trips, like you're on the plane, like everyone's yeah. kind of doing the same thing, you know, for the most part, like everyone's studying a game plan or, you know, hanging out, you know, just shooting the breeze or like watching a movie. And like mostly everybody on this, the plane is relatively similar personality-wise. So, like, I remember this one time we were on the plane, and I forget what movie. We might have been, like, one of the Batmans or um, whatever. Like, most guys who are watching movies are watching this movie. And Calvin would sit directly in front of me on an, a diagonal between the aisle. Yeah. So, all these guys are watching basically the same movie. And I look over, and Calvin is watching a documentary on dolphins. And I was like, bro what are you doing? Like what Calvin like was such a nerd <laughs> that going, like I say to people all the time, like he's like Steve Urkel. Do you remember Steve Urkel from yeah. family matters? Like, yeah, he was course. the biggest nerd. Like w here we are watching like bloody movies or something like that. He's watching the documentary on dolphin and watching it like dolphins, not the Miami dolphins, dolphins. Like he could do, it sounds like he could do run for office. He could, he could be uh, oh. a, a physicist. Like he could be a, a pro football player was just one thing that he wanted to do. Totally. Parents are super smart. I think one of his parents is a professor. That's how he, I believe part yeah. of the reason why he ended up in Georgia Tech as well. So super good, super, he's a tremendous person. But is that the chicken or the egg that he's watching the Dolphins documentary? Like, do you think like his interest outside of football helped him to be so good at football? Or do you think like, like, I, I don't know, do people totally. focus so much on football that it almost paralysis by analysis, they're almost too consumed by the sport. They're up late at night and not getting any sleep or eating poorly because they're just, they're, their whole life is consumed. We, we see this a lot on coaches in the NBA where like, they just, they just, they're night owls. And some yeah. coaches are like, I actually think it's beneficial to have a wife and kids because I can actually like put that aside and understand this isn't the end of the world. And maybe that like 17th hour of film is actually hurting me rather than helping right. me. So I guess like does Calvin Johnson, or do you think the fact that he was able to turn off that part of his brain and just watch a dolphins documentary, do you think that helped him play football or is it just different because he's Calvin Johnson? No, I think it helped him play football. Cause you like, I think it's the whole, like you're never attached to the result. And Calvin just, he had a standard of how he was going to go about his business. And that's why he's had so much success post football too. It's like, that's just 
he, no matter what it was, he did it a certain way. And he wasn't attached to whether it was going to, you know, work out in the result that he wanted or not. And that I think lesson could be applied to kids, right? Is like, hey, <laughs> you, Calvin Johnson's watching a Dolphins documentary on the flight to go play na on national TV. And totally, you know, that's okay. Like if you have other interests and you want to play great in football, like, man, uh, that is so cool. That's one of the things calling college football. Like I have a son who's, who loves sports and, you know, all that and is always playing them, but he's also smart and he's into stuff other than sports. And he's at that age where he's like, is it cool to be smart anymore? So like when I go to call college football games, I'll find the guy that like, he loves acting, he loves music, he loves to cook, he loves poetry, he loves playing, you know, whatever. And be like, yo, this guy's like one of their best players in the team. And he's a monster. He also likes to cook dessert. That's so important. You yeah. know, something like that to, to get him to understand like you could be way more than just that. Yeah. Because as a kid, you're wrapped up into thinking that that's your ticket, right? Is like, I'm totally. going to play sports. And then for me, I, I quit football in eighth grade and I lost almost all of my friends. Playing yeah. football was so big in town that like I quit football. I was a, I was a lineman, but I was not a lineman size. I was good at it. But um, I remember a coach in high school came to me and said like, dude, I'm, I think you could be all state in as an offensive lineman for us. You're great at seventh grade, but in order to do that, you got to put on like 50, 50 pounds. Like we got to get you on a yeah. meal plan. We got to get you in the weight room and I'm playing baseball and basketball. And I'm like thinking to myself, like, man, I, I don't want to do that. And I don't know if I like yeah. playing play offensive lineman. And what I did was I quit then. And then I lost yeah. all my friends. And it sure. was so devastating to me as a, as a 13 year old to under, to think that like playing football meant that much to our identity as teenagers that like I could lose friends over that decision. And two years later, like when we we're in high school together, we got over it by my sophomore year in high school, I think, but it took me a while, Dan, to like sure. not think that that was a life changing moment that like my life is over because I quit football, which seems so stupid as a 37 year old. Now I'm looking back and we're, we're sharing beers. We're like kicking it back at home. And I'm like, man, remember you guys, you wouldn't talk to me because I quit. Yeah, football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like, yeah. dude, that never happened. I'm like, that happened. And they're like, shit, man, I remember that hundred percent happened. Right. And yeah. it just seems like, yeah. how is that? healthy to have that relationship with a sport at 13 years old. And you probably see it all the time now is I totally. don't want it to get to that point where deciding, and this isn't right for me means that I'm going to be ostracized for my, for my social group. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, there's, there, there's part of me that sits there and goes like, there's a brotherhood there that is so unique and special. Um, and then part of me sits there and goes, it's paramount that, you know, as us, as parents, us as, you know, we, I've got friends who's got kids who look like they, they absolutely have to be aware that you can be completely committed and in love with it and not have it define you. That's hard, man. That's hard. Yeah. I mean, as you said, yeah. like, as that tweet said, that got like millions of views and it went viral because I think just acknowledging that it's hard, um, doesn't mean that like you, you're perfect at it either. You know, just admitting that no. like, I'm, I'm going to slip up. And this is hard. It's, yeah. it's easier to say, hey, I want my kids to just have fun and put in high effort. But then when you get out there and you see it happen where it's like, hey, he's yeah. not, he just didn't leg out that, that single or that, that fly ball. And you're like, yeah. oh, remember, I got to check myself. That's, that's hard, man. Because you got to rewire your brain. Totally. I say this to my wife all the time. Like one of my flaws is, you know, I've been so fortunate because of football and blessed to be around so much wisdom that was used in football that transfers to life. But I've been around it since I was 12. And not only was it I around it since I was 12, I was around it at a really high level in college and at the highest level in the NFL. And sometimes I fall into the trap of thinking that all the stuff that I've learned and experienced and know, but it took me like 25 years to get a grasp on it, my kids should at 12. 11. Like, and it's like, sometimes like, no, Dan, like it took you a long time to understand all this and grasp it. And so like, I sometimes have to like pull back the expectation of what hits for them and sticks when it comes to that stuff. Dan Orlovsky, you can catch him on ESPN, allprodad.com, uh, contributor there. And that's a very big, important part of your life. Anything else you want to Hey, congratulations on Monday Night Football, returning on Monday Night Football this year. That is that is 
That is pretty cool, man. That's awesome. Yeah, man. Thank you. Yeah, dude, trust me. It's, you know, like I still have to pinch myself with stuff because I'm like, I sometimes say to myself like, and my wife, like, what the heck is this? Like me being on Monday Night Football. So it's, I'm fired up on, you know, I take it very seriously. I'm super thankful for it. So thank you. And I'm excited to eat some unseasoned chicken with you down the road. <laughs> I appreciate that. I have some tonight. <laughs> yes. All right, Ted, I appreciate you, bro. Thank you. Later, buddy.